Well, welcome to Singlehood Lesson 4, and we call this lesson Pastor Chris's Thoughts on Relationships. There's actually at least one section I've taken from a book that we'll, uh, we'll give credit where credit is due here in a moment. But these are just my personal thoughts and observations after having been single and served in churches and then been married and, and then pastored. And so we'll just kind of go through these one by one. We've covered other stuff. We covered the biblical precedent for singlehood. We covered in other lessons uh, how and when you do find a spouse who you can and cannot date. I think we proved very soundly, very biblically, you can only find your spouse in the garden of God. We prove that over and over and over again. Now that's not to say if you're married and you didn't meet her at church that you're out of the will of God, but every generation that goes by that walks with God is going to have a higher and higher and higher standard. The Lord didn't expect much out of those Israelites when they came out of Egypt. They didn't know much. But the generation that walked through the wilderness, they walked with God for 40 years. He expected more out of them. And then the next generation after them in Canaan land, the promised land, he expected even more out of them. So that you get a couple hundred years down the road, he's expecting great amounts out of his people. And though maybe some of us here were married and we didn't necessarily meet our spouse in the garden of God, we are serving in the garden of God now. So we don't beat ourselves up. But we have to realize there's always a higher standard for the generation after us because revelation and the walk with God is progressive and gets closer and closer. So we saw that we definitely have to meet that person God has for us in the garden and that's a standard that if you hold to it will never fail you. If you meet them on the job, what, what, what are you chasing? You're not chasing God. If you meet them on the job and you're chasing them, you're just chasing somebody pretty. You meet them in the classroom. You don't know who or where they're from. You don't know what their heart is. And the dangerous thing about meeting somebody not in the garden is you, you are living in the garden of God, the local church, the kingdom. But they, they could easily pull you out of the garden because they have no heart for the garden. And so that's why the Bible teaches us the first four marriages of the Bible. The husband, the, the future husband was serving God and the future wife was serving God. And they came together and they continued serving God together. You don't want to get involved with anybody that does not want God as much as you do. You want to find somebody that wants God way more than you, and you're both running together. So let's, let's look at some thoughts here. These are my thoughts on relationships. So this is just, we call it pastoral wisdom. Our first point is, you got to keep this in mind as a single person. You can have your heart's desire, good, bad, or out of God's time. You can have your heart's desire. We might say good, bad, or ugly. And we might also throw in there, the right thing, the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. A spouse is a right thing. The Bible says he that, he, he that finds a wife, he, not she that finds a husband. In our culture, we have a lot of women chasing men. That's not biblical. But he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. So you having a wife, gentlemen, is a good thing, and you being found by a husband is, an, is a good thing, ladies. But you have to have it in the right timing. The right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. Biblically, or excuse me, legally, you could be married at 17 or 18, but that doesn't make it the will of God. You could be married halfway through your college career, but that doesn't make it the will of God. And lots of times when I counsel folks that are dating and they're courting, I tell them this, especially when I can tell they're lusty or they're just eager to get married for whatever reason, I tell them, listen, and this is the will of God, you two being together, this will be the will of God a year from now, this will be the will of God two years from now. This will be the will of God five years from now. And so if it's the will of God, why are we rushing? The Bible says that he that hastens with his feet sins. And the Bible says, he, whosoever believeth on him, Jesus, shall not make haste. So you can have your heart's desire, good, bad, or out of God's time. So just keep that in mind. We as Americans, we as educated individuals, we as 21st century human beings, we can obtain anything we want especially with the internet now. And you gotta be careful to let the Holy Ghost check you. You gotta be careful to submit all your whims and wants and desires to the will of God. Just because you can obtain it doesn't mean God wants you to have it. All of you right now, you all have smartphones. Any one of you could access pornography right now while I teach. Just because you can get it doesn't mean God wants you to have it. Any one of you could probably uh, go find some marijuana before the sun goes down just because you can get it and God won't stop you. He'll speak to you, but He won't physically stop you. Just because you can get it doesn't mean God wants you to have it. And you can go date anybody you want to and God won't stop you. Now, He'll speak to you, 
but he won't stop you. But just because you can date somebody doesn't mean it's the will of God. We've really got to answer the question again, what's so broken in us that we can't live without a, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend? What's so broken within us we can't be content single? Because as we've taught in previous lessons, Colossians 2 teaches very clearly, I am complete in Christ. Now I like to add, because I've added that for years while I was single, I am complete in Christ, I have need of nothing. The Bible says we are complete in Him who is the fullness of the Godhead. So let's look at our next point. You must seek Jesus before any other relationship and be willing daily to terminate any friendships or any friendship that detracts and distracts from God. This is just Pastor Chris's thoughts and observations and my pastoral wisdom. You must seek Jesus before any relationship, period. Even if you see a guy you like or you see a girl you like, you got to be willing to go home and talk to Jesus. Even, I'd even tell you, 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 see, you see her, you say, Lord Jesus, she's pretty. Lord, is she a Christian? Lord, does she know you? Lord, because I'd like to know her. And at least your eyes might be thinking things and seeing things. And even if you're a woman, your heart's saying, Lord, he is fine. But at least you're talking to him about it, the Lord, and you're putting God instantly in what your heart's already smacking over. Oh my gosh, he's a fine man. She is a honey. You got to put Jesus in it. Don't go playing dumb in your heart. Lord, I didn't notice anything. You are a liar. You noticed her. You noticed him. At least be willing to talk to the Lord about it. One time years ago, I was, when I was a single man, I was in a service at a church and I was with uh, Pastor Vaughn and there was this real pretty girl in the choir. Real pretty girl. And every service, it was several nights of service, every, every, every service I was quick to notice her. You know, because she was the prettiest girl. You know, you're a single guy and you're in church and you're a single guy and you don't want to be single all your life. And so you're in the church household of God. And I noticed this pretty girl and uh, nothing ever came of it. Pastor Vaughn helped me and encouraged me. And basically he said, all you know about her is that she's pretty. That's all you know. And the next time I was in that church for another service, she wasn't there anymore. And I don't know whatever happened to it. Obviously, it wasn't the will of God. But if all you're ever drawn to is pretty and his looks, what does that say about you? It says you're shallow. You've got to look a lot deeper than looks. You've got to look a lot deeper than anything else. You've got to be willing to look at the heart. You've got to be willing to look at the Christian walk. And we can't just chase anything that's shiny. We can't just chase anything that lines up with what the world has put on you. And as we've proven in lots of our teachings, uh, what's, what's pretty in America is not pretty other places. Here in America, women are supposed to be built a certain way. In Africa, it's totally different. In South America, it's totally different. In Russia, they like their white women real thick and rosy. And here, that's not desirable. So we got to put all that aside. The fact, the Bible says beauty is, fle is fleeting. It won't, it won't last long. So seek Jesus before any other relationship and be willing daily to terminate any friendship. That even goes for non-dating relationships. Be willing to walk away from any just period friendship. You've got to be willing to keep your hand firm on Jesus and loose on everything else. Be willing to terminate any friendship, opposite sex or same sex, that detracts or even distracts you from God. Be careful of any relationship that distracts you from God. Any relationship that distracts you from God is not of God. And you've got to be careful. Sometimes it's our best friend that pulls us away from Jesus. My pastor, Dr. Barclay, is fond of saying that the devil can't get to all of you, but he can get to your best friend. And if the devil can't get to you personally, he will affect your best friend who will then affect you. So you've got to be willing to stand for the truth and walk away from anything else. Another point, anything outside of contentment is lust, period. Anything outside of contentment is lust. You can't be happy without the pair of shoes, lust. You won't be happy without that new car, lust. You won't be happy dating that guy, lust. You won't be happy dating that girl, lust. You won't be happy by yourself, lust. You won't be happy unless you're the first person in line at that movie, lust. Because lust says, I gotta have it and I won't be happy till I have it. Well, then you get it, but guess what? You're still not happy. It satisfies you for but a moment and now you're not happy again. So 
It must be because I don't have the red pair of shoes. It must be because I haven't seen the sequel to this movie yet. It must be because my, my car doesn't have the newest this. It must be because I don't have the latest iPod. It must be because iPhone 5 came out and I'm still running the 4S. Well, don't worry, the 5S comes out in a few months. And then they'll come up with something else. Anything apart from contentment is lust. And we have a lot of single Christians that live habitually in lust and they think getting married is going to fix their lust. No, you were in lust when you met him, you'll be in lust when you marry him, and you'll be destroyed by the lust that you never satisfied through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are already complete in Christ. I'm a pastor. I deal with married people that have just as much lust as single people. Marriage is the biggest decision you make apart from Jesus Christ, and you do not want to rush into this thing. You want to make sure you marry the right person and you don't, satisfy, you don't settle for anything less than God's absolute best. You don't settle for a, a 3.5 when God wants to give you a 10. And His 10 is not your 10. His 10 is not America's 10. His 10 is His 10. And it may be your 7.5, but it's His 10. And you got to be willing to get over yourself. Pastor Vaughn was fond of teaching, don't think you're going to marry a 10 when you're a 3.5. And don't think you're going to marry a nine when you're a four. God, God has a, a righteous scale. <laughs> if you're a five, look from the four to six range. <laughs> and if you're a seven, looks or intelligence or what you have to offer. If you're a seven, look at the six to eight range. Because it'll be a miracle if anybody nine and above is going to give you the time of day. Some, of us, some folks never get married because they're still holding out for the twelve. And they don't realize the scale stops for them at six. <laughs> So there's got to be some reality there. You're looking for, like I like to joke, you're looking for Prince Charming to come sweep you off your feet, but honey, you're 500 pounds. That's going to take a big broom to do some sweeping. <laughs> or you're looking for a foxy number 12, gentlemen, and you, you're the horny toad, literally. You're the warty toad, literally. And you're expecting this beautiful woman to come give you a kiss, and she kisses you, and all you do is turn into a pig. So there's got to be some reality in our hearts here. Anything apart from contentment is lust. Here's another point of observation and thoughts. You cannot afford to daydream. We are all very guilty of it. We live in a daydream society. But you ladies, and I like to pick on ladies because ladies daydream, but guys daydream just as quickly. But our daydreaming always ends up in bed because that's how a man's carnal mind is wired. A woman's daydream runs this way, and I love this example. It always gets people laughing. You see him across the classroom or across the hallway or in the Walmart aisle, and he nods at you, and your mind goes running. Oh, he's handsome. I, 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 only a Christian man would smile at me like that. He must be a Christian. And, and then you see him again. Maybe you hear his name. Maybe his name is on a wristband or something or on his jacket and his name's Chuck. And by the time you see each other the second time, if at Walmart, it's in the frozen food aisle, Chuck and you have exchanged numbers. And this is all in your mind. And now Chuck's calling you, Chuck's texting you, and you're shopping for pizza or frozen goods. You cross each other in the Asian food aisle and Chuck nods at you again. And now he's taking you out to coffee. And before you get to the back of Walmart in the milk and dairy section, you've got your wedding planned. And then you see his boyfriend walk up to him. And it's Chuck and Terry. And he's not interested in you. He's just looking for another girlfriend because he's got a boyfriend and it's not going to be you. And that's how carnal the crazy mind is. Now, if it's in the classroom, you hear the name called and you just daydream about him, but you never talk to him. And you, by before you even leave classroom, you got the wedding plan. You're already writing your name with the last name you thought you heard him say. And that's the daydream. And before long, your heart is set on this guy and you've never even said one word. That's why even Facebook is so powerful and dangerous because you can bind your heart just through flirtatious chatter. Texting is very dangerous because you can give your heart so quickly with your thumb. Whoever thought we could come to a place where you could give your heart away with your thumb? <laughs> and you could be bound at the thumb with one another. They, they tell us, this, there's a statistic, I think 40% of affairs now start on Facebook. Not even face-to-face, -face, not even job 
uh, a site or, or job interaction, but just Facebook is starting 40% of the affairs that take place now, marital affairs. You cannot afford to daydream. We give you these high, high standards so that you don't have time to daydream. When you look at Chuck, your first thought isn't he's handsome. Your first thought is, does he go to church? Does he serve God like I do? Is he working in the garden? Can he even spell garden? Who's his pastor? And is he submitted to his pastor as I am to mine? Does he like world missions? How much of his, you daydream like this, how much of his income does he give to the gospel? He's probably a pornographer. Most men are this day and age, even in the church. That's how your mind ought to daydream. And before long, you make it real hard for God to get you into a man's life, and that's the way it ought to be. It would take God to put you together. But this daydreaming thing, you cannot afford to daydream. Now, fickle hearts like to daydream, insecure hearts like to daydream, and lazy hearts like to daydream. But when you're disciplined, the King James says over and over again, Christians ought to be sober-minded. And that in the Greek means a disciplined mind. A disciplined mind does not daydream. You can get to a place where your mind does not think unless you give it permission to think. Most Americans don't know a life like that. But you can get to a place as a Christian, your mind does not go anywhere until you engage it. And when you're done engaging it, you turn it off and it just sits there and does nothing. Most Americans know nothing about that. But that's what the King James calls a sober mind. A mind that is so tightly disciplined, you only think when you want to think. And if you don't want to think, it does nothing. That's an awesome place to be. There's a lot of peace to be had there. We've got to move on here. The right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. We've kind of covered that. So even marriage is the right thing. There's a time to date. We call it courtship because it has different rules. We've covered that previously. The right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. Even the right guy at the wrong time is the wrong thing. The right girl at the wrong time is the wrong thing. You've got to know when you're mature enough. You, you've got to know when you're seasoned enough. Now, there's been a, a, several families in the church, I told them, I'm not marrying you. You're not ready. And I've made them because they wouldn't do it. They're not, thank God they're submitted enough to not go run off and get married at the justice of the peace or go find another preacher. But I said, you're not ready. I'm not doing it. I'm not, I have the credentials. I have the authority. And I'm not marrying you because you're not mature enough. It's the right thing. It's the wrong time. Now, a lot of them are married now. And some of them did leave to get married. Some of them I finally said, all right, yeah, you, you've, you've matured enough. Uh, there's one couple right now in the church. I have probably put their wedding off three or four times. And we just met recently, and I said, I feel good about it. I think you guys are mature enough. But they knew for, for many years now that they're supposed to be together. But the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. Seek to please Jesus. This is when you're in a courtship relationship. This is when you do have someone you're interested in and then meet all the other criteria we've put forth and all the other lessons from the Scriptures. Seek to please Jesus. If this frustrates or displeases or angers the friend, we're not calling them boyfriends or girlfriends, their true heart has been exposed. You, you guys love God with all of your heart. You don't want to get next to somebody who is a mediocre Christian. We do not train you guys to be mediocre Christians and we do not train you to have a mediocre standard. We teach you this so you have a standard so high, only God could fulfill it. Most of America's problems are they settle for mediocrity because of a lack of patience. You don't want mediocre. Most of you have Apple products because you don't want mediocre. Most of you buy nice stuff because you don't want mediocre. How come you'd buy excellent shoes, excellent cell phones, excellent computers, but settle for a mediocre spouse? You'll upgrade your phone in two years. You'll upgrade the computer in four or five. Will you upgrade the spouse after two years of marriage? Apparently America thinks so. 50% of us do. Upgrade. If 50% of every marriage ends in divorce, that same statistic rolls over for the next marriage. All those people that get divorced get remarried. 50% of those marriages end in divorce. So you could run some mathematical statistics here and see, wait a minute, how many Americans have been married multiple, multiple times? 
and they haven't learned that they're the goofy factor. That comes back to you fixing you. If you want Prince Charming, make sure that you're loadable on the back of his horse. Make sure you have something to offer, and you're not being settled for. You, you don't want somebody else to have to settle for you, and you shouldn't have to settle for somebody else. Well, what if that's the case? What if, what if they're just settling for you? It works both ways. That's why you take singlehood to be the best Christian God wants you to be, to walk with Jesus, to get strong so that you are the 10 God wants you to be. You're not 3.5. All right, here's another point of wisdom, and we're all guilty of this, so shame on us. Marathon, reveal all, first date talks. You know what that means, right? I just met him, and we just have so much in common. How do you know? We, we started talking. We talked all night. You're in sin. We, we just, this is my soulmate. How do you know? We just stayed up Skyping till the sun came up. You are that stupid? You could reveal your heart and violate the Word of God to a total stranger that easily? That is not a soulmate. That is not a sign that you are meant to be together. That's a sign that you are carnal, immature, and unguarded. I've just never shared myself like this before, except with the last seven guys. So I call them marathon reveal all first date talks. We were up till 3 a.m. talking. You are a stupid man. You are a dumb girl. <laughs> they violate scriptures and are not a sign of divine connection. They are what I call soul dumps. I was on the toilet for four hours. Well, you had diarrhea. That's not healthy. When you're mature, you can control your colon. Otherwise, you're called incontinent, unable to control. And when you can just stay up all night with the boy you just met or stay up all night with the girl you just met and just talk about how your daddy treated you when you were five and then your parents went through a divorce and then you went to a camp and then you met this and your first boyfriend this and then your first girlfriend that and then you were, and, and that brings me today and oh my gosh, that's immature. The Bible says a fool has no desire but that his heart may express itself. So you stayed up all night expressing yourself. Proverbs calls you a fool. Proverbs says many things about talking. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. The Bible also says, study to be quiet. You, when you first meet somebody, we'll go on to talk about this if I can hurry and move through this. You ought to be watching them like a hawk. You ought to be gathering intel. You ought to be like a drone in the Middle East. You just circle for days, gathering intel. How does he act around his friends? How does he treat the professor? How does he treat his boss? How does he treat the other women in class? Then I'm going to go to a Christian fellowship and see how he treats the Christians. I'm going to watch him. Well, how does he dress? What kind of patches does he have on his backpack? Does he have any tattoos? Why does he have tattoos? Why am I drawn to a man with tattoos? Does he have tattoos and he has to reveal them? Uh, You've got to be gathering intel rather than daydreaming and soul dumping. Because if you're in my church, I'm giving you a higher standard than this region has ever known, and you're responsible for it. Because we don't want your marriage to end in divorce. Because as the church statistic goes, all you singles are here, half of you will be divorced. That's the church statistic. Now, not in my church, but in the American church. So we give you this high standard because none of you should ever be divorced, ever, ever. You only get divorced because you miss the will of God. Don't be dumb. Don't soul dump. Get you some biblical Kaopecte or something or Imodium AD and dry it up and be very discreet. You women, the Bible says, should be discreet. That means you don't reveal personal details. If you can reveal all there is about you in a marathon phone call, there ain't much about you. It's pretty shallow. <laughs> if you choose to date, then remember that dating is a time to assay the character and heart of the individual. To assay or assay means to test, scrutinize. It's a metallurgical term. It's a mining term. You're using that time to date to gather intel and to see what impurities are in that person. You're testing to see what their worth and their content is. 
Therefore, dating must be done cautiously, guarding emotions and not allowing soul ties to develop. This is not a time to become infatuated. You should not allow yourself to become infatuated while you're dating or courting. This is all recon. We are purposely using very sterile, militant terms. Reconnaissance, reconnaturing. Is that how you pr proper pronunciation? Reconnaturing, reconnaissance. It's a funny pronunciation when you're doing it in the plural. Intelligence gathering, watching, surveying, assaying. There's no emotion here. Your heart wants to pitter-pat, but you got to stop it. Otherwise, you can easily give your heart away. And I understand it. I've been single. I've dated. And I know what it was like to get a text. My wife and I dated on the first round of texting eight years ago. And I'd get a text from her, and my little heart would go, Whoo, that girl with the pretty blue eyes is texting me. And I'd send something back to get a return re response. I understand that. But you got to guard your heart. The heart is fickle, foolish, deceitful. Don't become infatuated. Next point, don't cut off all other friendships. I've watched this too many times. You start dating and you start cutting off friendships. We're cold here, Mr. Rick, if you can bump the heat a little bit. Don't cut off all other friendships. So many folks, they start dating and we never see you again. God, if God did bring a man or woman into your life, He didn't do it so you could eliminate all your friendships. That's a dangerous place to be. Honestly, the more you date, the more we should see you to keep you safe. You ought to be able to submit and, and make yourself accountable and realize that you are dangerous. I, your flesh is dangerous. I can't tell you how many friends I've had who were good Christian leaders and they got to dating and they began to withdraw. Next thing you know, their girlfriend's pregnant. As a pastor, I've picked up these messes. Well, oops, I got my girlfriend pregnant. You're born again. You're, you love Jesus. Yeah, but you got flesh too. And so does he or she. We don't want to do that. Do not cut yourself off from other relationships. If you do that, it should let you know your relationship's not right before God. If you're able to date and withdraw from the kingdom and withdraw from the body, it lets you know right there this relationship is not right before God. If your relationship causes you to neglect previous commitments and responsibilities, something is unbalanced and unhealthy. Guys, it could be you're dating a very needy girl. Run away. Girls, hopefully you're not the needy one that pulls him away from his commitments. Dating should not make you late for class. should not make, the, make you late for your job. should not cause you to skip church. I don't get it when Christians start dating and they skip church. What happened? Well, we had a tiff. So your tiff preempted the will of God for a church service. You skipped church because you couldn't get along. And God is wearing this. God is wearing this relationship. You had to put together this carnal relationship and it caused you to skip church and you were justified skipping the assembly of the saints to fix a broken and irreparable carnal relationship. Yeah. Wake up, man. Wake up, sweetie. If the relationship causes you, you to neglect previous commitments and relationships, something's not balanced. Something's not healthy. As the man, here we go, gentlemen, you must lead. You must set the standard. If she doesn't want to follow, can't follow, wants to be too bossy, or tries to slowly pull down your high standard, her heart has been revealed. If she can't pull in behind you in the dating relationship or the courtship, uh, it's not going to work. So let it go. Women, you must yield to the man. Not as though you are married, but as a sweet, holy woman of God, as a sister. If you have to lead while dating, he is either incapable of leading, or you have too strong a personality for him. Now let me add this, ladies, because we are American women in here. Just because he's quiet doesn't mean he's not stronger than you. Could be you're just a blabbermouth and you won't be quiet long enough to hear his direction. Now, now I'm sometimes held as the standard for a lot of young ladies. I want my husband to be like pastor. But understand, I'm not the same person at home as I am in the pulpit. When I'm in the pulpit, I'm leading a ministry. I'm leading a church. I have to drop the hammer. But at home, I don't have to drop the hammer. I can just cut my wife a look. At home, I can say, honey, I need you to do this. And it's not always me barking orders. Because at home, we're a team. Even on a football field, even in the military, the, the captain of a platoon, he can just give a hand signal. 
and everybody does what needs to be done. They can do it with total silence. Some of you are looking for a drill sergeant because you're a drill sergeant, ladies. But a drill sergeant is a drill sergeant when he has a bunch of immature 18-year-olds who just left mommy for the first time. When you get mature, you don't need a drill sergeant. You need a captain of a SEAL squad who can just cut a look or give a hand signal. Or they can just anticipate. Uh, watching one of those SEAL movies, they can come in and they just squeeze each other's shoulder and that's all they need to know. Drill sergeant and yelling is for immature people. And if some of you ladies are looking for a man to be that kind of strong, it just shows how immature you are and your inability to be led with a squeeze or a look. If you have to be yelled at, it just shows that you're the 18-year-old that just hit boot camp. That's pretty good teaching right there. <laughs> Amen. If you have to lead while dating, he is either incapable of leading or you have too strong a personality for him. Therefore, you should not even consider dating someone who can't lead you according to God and his standards. If you are stronger than him now, this will not change just because you say, I do. Let's move on. A first date does not necessarily need to be immediately followed by a second date. That's where we get into trouble. I had so much fun. Can I call you again? No. Let's let this thing wait for about two or three weeks. See how you feel. Let's wait two or three weeks, see how I feel. Let's not trust our emotions here because they're fickle and they're unscrupulous and they're tossed to and fro. And I need to let myself daydream and then shut my daydream down and then see how I feel about you. And let me see what the Word of God has to say to me at the next service. You, it's possible to get so infatuated dating you come back to the house of God and you don't even hear what's preached because you're just daydreaming the whole service. You just miss what God had for you because you were still busy living Saturday night over again. Man, you gotta, you gotta take this thing with a grain of salt. You gotta be able to walk away from this thing. Yeah, you had a good date. So, what if that's the first on your way to divorce? What if that's the first on the way to being physically abused? What if that's the first to her cheating on you? Come on, we, we invest too quickly. We are, we are too quick to act. We hasten too quickly. God help you have a good date, ladies, and you, boy, you got the wedding planned before you go to bed that night. He didn't tell you he had three other women he was dating. No, no, he, he's got a couple other hanging out there. He wants to see which one's the prettiest, which one is the smartest. He don't care about you. He's just test driving you. Could be. So just because you have a successful first date does not necessitate a second date. Let things marinate. Use the first date as data gathering, as a data gathering research expedition. After all, if it is God, it can and will wait. You can see my scientificness coming out. That's how I view things, man. Gather as much data as possible. How can you make decisions without information? You can't go on your feelings. I fix marriages because people are walking by feelings. <laughs> and they're in covenant. There is no room for jealousy in friendships. Jealousy is a sign of immaturity, insecurity, and faithlessness in your completeness in Christ, much less when you're jealous in a simple dating relationship. So if you're already jealous because some other girl's giving him attention that lets you know your heart's way too committed, you haven't even been on a date with him, you haven't even brought him to the house of God, and you see him talking to another girl and you're jealous, or guys, you haven't even asked her out, you haven't even seen if she's a Christian, and you see another guy talking to her, you're jealous? That's a sign that we got issues. You shouldn't be jealous so quickly and so easily. It kind of shows that some emotions are way too eager to set themselves on a situation here. Next point, if you're ready to get married after two or three months of dating, you've done too much daydreaming, too much talking, and too little observing. I think you're goofy. You ready to get married after two or three months? I met my wife and after about three weeks, the Lord spoke to me supernaturally that she was the second part of the vision that I'd had eight years prior. And I wasn't ready to get married for about three more years. Didn't even consider it. And I had a supernatural vision and a visitation concerning my wife. I was in no rush. I said, well, if it's God, let's raise this up the ante. Let's raise the standard. Let's see how many hoops she can jump through. How much can she tolerate? How much does she really want God? Let's give her a run. Let's, let's test drive this thing. How much does she want God? Because I guarantee I want God more than she does. Can she keep up with me? I don't have time to chase dumb American women. 
dumb American culture. So just because you dated and you hit it off and you're, you're already daydreaming about marriage, come on. Two or three months, you're ready to get married, come on. That's immature. Next point, if you want to get married so you can hurry up and have sex, you've missed the point completely. Sex as a driving force for marriage keeps the union in the natural and it overlooks the supernatural nature of the union. Sex is not a spirit-minded motivation. Now, sex is for marriage, and it's awesome, and thank God for it. But if that's why you want to hurry up and get married, because true love waits, you're not, you're not qualified to get married. Sex is like the icing on the cake after you've had dessert, excuse me, after you've had dinner. And the dinner consisted of meat and potatoes and vegetables and, and roughage and fruit. And then you got dessert. And then after the dessert, then they had the cake and the icing on the cake. That's sex. But if you put the icing first, icing is made of nothing but fat and sugar. And you can't live off of it. And if you chase it, you'll get some kind of demon of lust and you'll be a sex fiend. And we'll have to cast something out of you. So these are just points of observation, things I've noticed in people. Oh, I, being around folks, they just want to hurry up and get married because they want sex. They want to hurry up and get married because they're lonely. They want to hurry up and get married because they're needy. So I've written these things down, down, making observations of Christians running towards a shipwreck. This is meant to encourage you because if you listen to this, you have a foundation so sure in you, you'll never go wrong. We ought to be in this thing for the long haul, not the short-term pleasure. We've got to be in this thing for long-term success. In a sense, we're not day trading here. We're investing long-term. We're not looking to make money before the market takes a lunch break. We want, to, we want this thing to return for us 40 years from now. Too much of what we do as Americans is now, 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 now. How come, why is my movie taking so long to upload? I want to watch it now. You just clicked download a second ago. It's not acceptable. Used to, we had to go to the, the uh, rental place and that would take 15 minutes to get there and then we'd walk up and down and have we seen this no nope. oh it's checked out all right well we can't get that what about this I heard it was bad all right and, and it took you an hour sometimes you spend a whole hour at Blockbuster just eight years ago to find what you wanted to rent and then you have to stand in line and then drive all the way home and some idiot didn't even rewind the tape. It even had a big stick that said, be kind, please rewind. So you had to hit rewind. Then you could watch it. The whole thing took an hour and a half. And now you just get on iTunes or Netflix and you went click download and you can watch it in five seconds. We're being conditioned to have no patience. And we're treating relationships that way. I want to go ahead and download my husband now. Ain't going to work. Never make deals with your friend or your spouse. Love serves because it loves, not because it desires something in exchange. Love does not barter. That's just another observation. Some of these fit us today. Sometimes some of these won't fit us necessarily. But that's why you have this lesson. So you can go back and look at this in six months and maybe that one right there really strikes you because you're in a relationship bartering. Marriages are really bad about that. Let's look at some verses real quick. Proverbs 19, 1 and 2. Better is the poor that walks in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Also that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. And he that hasteth with his feet sins. So it's better to be poor. That means no boyfriend, no girlfriend. And have integrity than to be a perverse in your lips and a fool. Also notice to have the soul without knowledge, it's not good. One translation, actually down two verses uh, in the English ESV version says, desire without knowledge is not good. That, that relates to dating. Desire without knowledge is not good. One translation says, zeal without knowledge is not good. Uh, verse 3 says, the foolishness of man perverts his way and his heart frets against the Lord. One translation says, the foolishness of man makes his way, his life tough, and then he blames God for it. So a lot of us, what, those, I put all those in there because we're the ones that ruin our life, and then we want to blame God. We get in a hurry. It says, it is not good to hasten with your feet. You sin when you do so. And to want something and have no knowledge is going to cause you to get in a hurry. We throw those verses in there so you can see wisdom. Take your time. There's no rush here. You've got to, in a sense, take the humble idea, there's no man good enough for me. There's no woman good enough for me. Only God can bring me that man. Only God can bring me that woman. Set this standard so high that they're going to have to walk with God to get access to your life. 
What we're doing, though, is we're bypassing God to get access to someone God never meant us to meet or talk to. You've got to seek this thing out. This husband, this wife God has for you is the second greatest gift you'll ever receive apart from salvation through God Almighty and the gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Ghost. You understand that the Word. This thing called marriage is the most important thing in your life in the natural. And we're not to enter into it as flippantly as our society has taught you to do. That's why we harp on this. That's why this standard's so high. That's why this is even hard on you because you have more America in you than you realize. You have more MTV in you than you realize. You have more BET in you than you realize. And you think, this is, this is oh my gosh, it's killing my dream. Your dream is sick. This is, this is tearing my hope out. What were you hoping in? This is the Word of God. This is hope. You've not experienced hurt till you go through divorce, till you have your family ripped apart, till you have your finances stripped from, till your kids, you don't even get your kids full time. We don't want to rush into this thing. But everybody around you lacks this standard and they're going to come for you. So you've got to have this in you so you can be strong. Desire without knowledge is not good. Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. What's his name? Jesus. He that believeth shall not make haste. If you believe on Jesus, you're not in any hurry. When the Lord told me that my wife was the second part of the vision, I was, in my heart I was almost like, well, prove it. Not arrogantly, but I was like, we'll see about that. We'll see. And because even for years, because from the time I met her to the time we got married was three years. And a month after I met her, I had that, that vision. And the Lord spoke to me supernaturally. But I even argued with the Lord. I said, Lord, you said the second part of my vision. You didn't say she was my wife. Lord, you didn't say I was supposed to marry you. You just said she's the second part of my vision. So what's that supposed to mean, Lord? And I wasn't being arrogant. I was just talking to the Lord. So Lord, maybe I'm just supposed to train her. Maybe I'm just supposed to disciple her. Maybe, maybe I'm preparing her for who you have for her. But you never said husband and wife, so I'm not going to assume that. Lord, if you want her to be my wife, you're going to have to speak it to me, show it to me, and she's going to have to be good enough. Nothing arrogant there, but I just have a little bit higher standard, and it has served me well. Don't follow your friends. Most of them are going to hell. Certainly don't follow 19 to 25-year-olds. Most of them are pagan, godless, and mock your God. We don't run with the heathen. We run with Jesus Christ. So let's look at seven habits of highly defective dating. This is taken from a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, written by a man named Joshua Harris. I recommend that book to everybody. His follow-up book was called Boy Meets Girl. The book was very controversial about 12, 13 years ago because he basically told the body of Christ in the late 90s, don't date. And everybody screamed, all the Christians, and shook their fist at him. How am I supposed to meet my wife? How am I supposed to meet my man? And he said, well, let's just walk this thing out. And the book's very convicting. Very convicting. He did follow up, though, because he met a girl. He dated her and got married. And he followed up with a book called Boy Meets Girl. And he talked about how to biblically date. We call it courtship. I recommend both of those books. Joshua Harris, he's now a very successful pastor, about my age in Washington, D.C., and has written other books. He's a very well-respected uh, Bible student and teacher. Joshua Harris, I don't, we have one of his books in our library, but I Kiss Dating Goodbye and Boy Meets Girl. They're excellent. And these I have taken from his book. Seven Habits of Highly Defective Dating. You can Google that and you'll pull his stuff up. Dating tends, excuse me, dating leads to intimacy, but not necessarily commitment. We've discussed that in previous lessons. You can date and you'll grow intimate, but not committed. In this day and age, people your age have been trained by MTV for the last 30 years. They'll date you to have sex with you, and they're dating four other guys and sleeping with them. I would like to do statistical research. You could probably Google it. How many, how many sex partners has the average 20-year-old had in America? Seven, eight, nine, ten, something like that. I don't know. You could Google it. Dating tends to skip the friendship part of a relationship. My wife and I were friends before we were ever dating and courting intimately. And we found things we liked in common. We still do those things. My wife loves repelling. That's crazy. She loves football. That's crazy too. She loves doing outdoor stuff. She loves backpacking. Thank God for a friendship. Dating often mistakes a physical relationship for love. Oh, we held hands. I'm in love. No, you're not. You're in lust. He kissed me. She kissed me. 
You're not in love, you're in lust. It makes your heart go pitty pat and your emotions do things. And your hormones and everything hormones are attached to biologically. That's not love. Animals do that kind of stuff. It's lust. Number four, dating often isolates a couple from other vital relationships. It, we're proving to you dating is not a very good thing. Number five, dating in many cases distracts young adults from their primary responsibility of preparing for the future. You as a single adult are to be preparing for the future and dating will distract you from that. And the reason why is because you've been sold a false bill of goods that says if you're not dating somebody right now, you'll never get married. And if you don't get married, you're not worth anything. And oh my gosh, and if you're not worth anything, then, then you're not worth anything and I'm not worth anything. Except you're worth the blood of Jesus. So it's amazing that society and the devil and lies get you off the focus, which is Jesus Christ and maturing and preparing for the future while you're trying to make the future happen now. But God's not in the future now. He's in the now now. And you chase things you shouldn't be chasing because of insecurity. You're insecure because you don't have a walk with God. And it's this catch-22 perpetual cycle that just spins you down. Just cut the junk out. Serve God, glorify Him, mature who you are, fix your goofy problems so you're not 45 years old and still messed up. Wouldn't it be awesome to never have to deal with vain imaginations again the rest of your life? Fix it while you're your age. Wouldn't it be awesome to never have to deal with lust the rest of your life? Fix it while you're your age. But once you get married, all that stuff doesn't get worked on anymore. You don't have time. God's trying to set you guys up to be far more successful than even my generation. But you got to trust the Word and do it. Six, dating can cause discontentment with God's gift of singleness. We've covered that before. Singleness is a great gift. It's one of the greatest gifts you guys have right now because you'll never be single again, so you ought to make the most out of it. Seven, dating creates an artificial environment for evaluating another person's character. When all you do is date, all you see is the facade they put up front. We teach that you should get around each other in a church setting, around a school setting, and see how they handle other stresses, how they under, handle other, the opposite sex, how they handle their family. And with all you ever do, if all you ever do is date and sit at a restaurant, all you see is the front person, the front side of that person. You want to see how they handle other things. And when you see ugly, you're not so committed, you can't walk away. Sometimes you spend too much time face to face, you're too bound in your heart to walk away when you see their ugly tail. You start making excuses for it. So he cusses. So he looks at porn. I love him. So, so, so he's mean to me. I love him. Your hearts are too connected. You can't walk away now. This thing's done. You're in trouble. Dating creates an artificial environment for evaluating another person's character. So we don't want to date. We want to court with the help of God's leadership, the house of God, the body of Christ. And if you can do that, you'll be safe. Final section, three steps to maintaining healthy relationships. Number one, understand the difference between friendship and intimacy. Our goal is friendship. Our goal is not intimacy. Intimacy is for marriage. It's not, I'll teach you this, this is a high standard. It's not even biblically proper for you to kiss the opposite sex in an intimate way until you're married. Time does not give me, allow me to show you a chart that I was taught that basically proves Hebrew word for kiss means to kindle a fire. Kissing the opposite sex in an intimate way is designed to end in intercourse. Kissing, according to the Hebrew, according to God's design, is foreplay. It kindles the flame of biblical romantic lust and hormones and it's designed to end in intercourse and orgasm. How many Christians kiss on a regular basis? And they're frustrated and they wonder why they're burning in their lust. They wonder why they're struggling with pornography and masturbation. You're hijacking the will of God. This thing is designed to ramp up and end in orgasm for both husband and wife. And you start that ramp and you're going to try to cut that thing off at just kissing or holding hands or fondling or second base or third base. We, we, we haven't ever home-runned it. We haven't ever scored. No, you are short-circuiting the will of God and you were never designed to kiss. That's why the holy man of God says you may now kiss your wife. 
because you weren't supposed to be kissing up until then. To kiss, now we're not talking about kissing Aunt Edna. We're not talking about kissing mom on the cheek or dad on the cheek. I'm from deep south. We were kissed on the mouth by grandma, great aunts. I was even as a teenager, I was still kissed on the mouth by my great aunt. That's just what they did. They just, they still saw me as a little baby. It doesn't bother me when my little girl kisses me on the mouth. It grosses my wife out, but she's a Yankee. We southerners were trained proper. We're not talking about that, but that romantic, passionate kiss kindles a flame, and we're not going to ask for a show of hands, but we can all testify it did start a flame in your heart. It even started a flame in your loins, because that's what it's designed to do. The Hebrew word kiss means to kindle a flame. Can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? Nope. So let's not mistake friendship for intimacy here. We're not trying to score. We're trying to build a friendship here. And you can't really build a friendship when all you're worried about is kissing. Dr. Barclay teaches that kissing is fornication. <laughs> That's a high standard. He said one time on SMTI is kissing is fornication and heaven's high and hell's hot and I hope you make heaven. Ouch! Just over horny Christians. Friendship is two people walking side by side toward a common goal. It's hard to do that in the back seat of a car. Friendship is two people walking side by side toward a common goal. Number two, be inclusive, not exclusive. Don't isolate yourself. I've watched so many young people date and isolate themselves. Point three, and we're closing here. Seek opportunities to serve, not to be entertained. So many Christians, they date and they want to be entertained. You can come to church and date. We're going to date in children's church. We're going to date cleaning the house of God. We're going to date at the singles fellowship. And come in the house. We're going to, we dated. Well, wouldn't it be an awesome testimony? How did you guys meet? We met evangelizing at our church. And we look forward to every third Saturday because we'd be on the same evangelistic team. We won so many people to Jesus together. And that's when I fell in love with her. When I realized she loved the lost just like I do. As opposed to how did you meet? At a frat house. She was drunk. I puked on myself. It was love at first sight. Thank God for His mercy. Yeah, thank God. Seek opportunities to serve, not to be entertained. In service, we find, and I'd say we build, true friendship. So that concludes our lessons on singlehood. And our fourth lesson, Pastor Chris's thoughts on relationships. Keep these. Go over them from time to time and don't be in any rush to get married. You have all your singlehood to prepare. Father, I thank you for these lessons. I thank you for blessing these young people, these singles. Father, I thank you for the spouse you have prepared for them. Bring them to their proper spouse in due time according to your will. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.